Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, robo-advisors, cryptocurrencies, open APIs. The world of financial services is changing rapidly, and it is going to change a lot in 2017. Lex Sokolin is the director of fintech strategy at Autonomous Research. He joins us with his predictions. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. All you, uh, can we call you money beaters? Is that a good nickname for our, our, our listeners? Sure, why not? You think? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll play with it. We'll, we'll try it on for a little while. Or actually, you'll try it on for a little while, see if you like it. Uh, anyhow, how you doing? Paul and Steven here in the studio in New York City, joined today in the studio by uh, Telus Demos, no stranger to the podcast. Hi, everybody. How are you? And we have a special guest today because today today's going to be one of our – look, it's still January, so it is still early in the year. But in case you hadn't noticed, 2017 is actually happening. So it is time to start to get serious. It is time to start to think what what is going to happen in this year? What's going to come in the future? What is, what is 2017 going to bring to me, going to show me that I absolutely need to know? And to help you – on that topic. And it's not generalist stuff today, folks. This is this is financial services. This is fintech. We are looking this pretty specifically. This is something that is like the heart and soul of Paul Vigna and Telestimos. It kind of is, yeah. actually. I mean, this, this, is, this is something that we like to talk about, something we like to write about. So to help us today, we are joined here in the studio. Lex Sokolin is Global Director of Fintech Strategy at Autonomous Research. Lex, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And the reason we wanted to have you, this was Telus's get. Telus was the one who brought this in. Uh, you have produced a document. We'll, we'll call it whatever. Uh, you're, you're looking at a 2017. So we wanted to get you in here. Some big predictions, some big topics. You know, if if you're following in the sort of high tech, fintech, cryptocurrency, if you're following in these worlds out there, you know that things move pretty fast. 2017, they're probably going to continue to move fast. And if you don't know, if you don't follow, things are going to happen that you're going to say, oh, my God, what was that? Uh, so we want to kind of dig in. We want to dive in a little bit. And I think I'm actually kind of rambling. So I want to hand it off to Telus. Uh, Telus, get us started here. <laughs> well, so let's uh, – Let's talk a little bit about what we mean when we say fintech first. Um, I, so, think that's a, I think that's a very good question. Yeah, let's let's back up a little bit. You know, obviously, um, you know, every, everyone has a mobile banking app, right? Like, it's not like I don't. Okay, Paul doesn't. Okay, the the one person who doesn't. Mister Mister Bitcoin. Owns, the guy owns bitcoins. Uh, no, I, I, don't, no don't, I don't. I don't. Sorry, I don't own sorry, bitcoins correction, either. Correction. No, but he's only okay. written a book about I just it. Write about it. Anyway, <laughs> so we so we so. But 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 I think when people talk about fintech, I think they're 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 looking even a little bit further out, right? And and so Lex, I'd, I'd like to just sort of get your thoughts on like when 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 you think about the, the the landscape of the things that you think about, right? So so you work with a lot of people who are traditional kind of bank analysts, right? They look at like yep. bank profits, they look at you know the insurance industry, right? Like they they kind of they they think about financial services in the same way that we always have. They've brought you in to kind of add another dimension to that, right? And that's fintech. So so tell us a little bit about what you spend your day thinking about that's maybe a little different from what a traditional, you know, kind of person who thinks about banking does. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I use the word futurism a lot to talk about this stuff. Uh, and in a way, I'm a translation layer between 
the folks that you mentioned, the bankers, the accountants, the cash flow people, and the artists and the hackers. You know, and I think um, fintech, of course, technology has always existed in finance going back 20, 30 years and before. They were early adopters, right? I mean, electronic stock trading and things like that. So it's not like tech is new to financial services. Yeah, not at all. I mean, if you uh, if you look at it, though, it was always IT. It was always the back office, you know, people wearing brown shirts and brown ties. And it was the business people that were getting paid the big bucks. And something, I think, fundamentally changed in the 2000s. You know, it was Mint.com was sort of the BC moment of fintech when people realized you could make money with software in financial services. Um, but end of the day, I think it's it's super simple. It's just digitization. It's what's happened in music in the early 2000s because, hey, that stuff's easy to digitize. It's what's happened with retail and commerce in the late 2000s. You know, Amazon owns 40, 50 percent of the sector now, and it's all digital commerce. And it was a little harder to digitize. And today we are in uh, finance and healthcare. And so it's this secular trend that's sweeping across um, and I think really transforming what finance does. So, you know, so when you talk about, you know, say, say uh, the digitization of the music industry, right, that we went from, okay, here's a record, we're going to play it on the radio, let's see if it hits the billboard chart, and then we'll sell as many as we can at Sam Goody's or whatever, right? Like that's, that's the way the record industry used to work, and that's all changed, obviously, right? You stream it through Spotify and all that, and that kind of blew up the record industry, right? Like the traditional labels don't make money the way they used to. Obviously, like music stores have pretty much gone out of business. Is that what we're looking at with banking here, where you, where, 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 you, know, you no longer necessarily have to go to the branch to do things? You don't necessarily need the same kind of uh, credit card to pay for things like you used to. Is that going to like blow up the banking industry the same way that it did in music? That's the, that's the existential question, isn't it? Um, you know, so what's happened in other industries is that there is a period of this digestion, right? Software is eating the world. And there's a period of digestion of where the value comes from, what people really care about, what they want to buy, what they're willing to pay for. But then the revenue comes back. And so if you look at music, revenues, you know, pretty similar to what they were in the 2000s, except all of that isn't printing CDs. It's, it's people actually paying 30% to Apple or, or uh, um, iTunes or other providers. In finance, it's just so much harder to digitize all of the different products. And what we see happening is, you know, the evolution. It's not the disruption and floor is going to fall apart and everything will disappear, but it's the slow change within the industry in terms of what people will really pay for. Um, And I think less and less, especially for my generation, I'm an aging millennial. Uh, for my generation, people. I didn't are, know there was a thing such as an aging millennial. <laughs> well, we have is to. That, that have, that's no. how all the millennials are getting yeah. already. Yeah. No, it's because of it's We're because of boomers. Trouble. It's because of boomers like you, Paul, who think that all millennials. I'm are not a boomer. People, I'm not really? that old. Really? God's yeah. sakes, wow. man. Jesus, no, Mary. That's true. that's true. Wait, wait, wait. How young is the youngest? I, no, no, you're Gen I'm, X. I'm Gen X. I'm forgetting about Gen X. I'm forgetting about Gen X. Sorry, Paul. I'm sorry, I get defensive when people talk about millennials. We'll, we'll talk about anyway, that Anyway, you were saying. Jesus. Yeah, we're all on Snapchat right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think people are just much less willing to pay for physical infrastructure. It doesn't matter um, you know, if you have a marble bank to walk into or if you have uh, a really well-designed app. You know, and this is something, robo-advice is something we, t- we spent a lot of time looking at because it's... Robo-advice it's, meaning like you go to... 
rather than go to you walk into like a broker office and say, hey, build me a portfolio, you go to a website like um, Betterment or Wealthfront and, and, you know, you just sort of sign up and they build you a portfolio and do it instantly, right? All online. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the financial advisor process, but um, the workflows are automated. You know, it's not artificial intelligence. It's not sort of crazy uh, data science, but it is automated workflow. So you can do all this stuff online. Um, you know, and, and RoboAdvice is pretty mature. We're about seven, eight years into it. Um, and it really highlights the issue. So it used to be, right, that there are all these towns across the United States, and each one has a community bank, and each one has a wealth manager and a lawyer. And in that town, the financial advisor serves everybody in that town. Um, and so the, the long tail kind of reaching there is super important. But now today, we all live in the same town, and it's in our pockets. And there's two towns. There's iOS and there's Android. Right. You know, and so um, you ask people – I go to conferences and I ask people, how many financial apps do you have on your phone? You know, it's three to seven. Three to seven is not, <clears throat> not 10,000 towns. You know, so I think that's a, a symptom of what's going on. So it- I, I was going to – I wanted to get back to the, the sort of notion that you brought up, though, quickly. The idea that – are we going to see the same sort of transformation or, you know, a hit to the financial? And it seems to me it's obviously yes. The Who's getting – I mean, the revenues might not change, but who's going to get paid? And that can be just from a job level to actually the companies is going to change. The, it's, a, it's going to be slower perhaps in the banking and financial industry just because of regulation that, it, you know, that it's going to. But I, I just don't see how – you you know this doesn't change. I mean, you're talking right now with robo advisors. I mean, what's that going to do to the wealth management industry? Well, I think I think that speaks to one of your predictions, Lex, which is that you know we might see a technology company, right, um, buy a robo advisor in 2017, um, which is interesting because right. So on the one hand, you think okay, a bank might digitize what it does, right, take what used to happen in a branch or even like used to happen on the web, but like not in a particularly sophisticated way. And then, you know, make that work as well as, you know, the most magical app on your phone does, right? Like it just sort of happens immediately. It's cheap. It's easy. But what 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 you're predicting is perhaps that a totally different type of company might get into mm-hmm. that robo-advice business. And then, again, those revenues shift out of banking towards a technology company. Tell us a little bit more about that. Why do you think we might see a technology company decide to move in that direction? Sure. I mean, I, I think one of the the big themes is that you know, tech and finance are colliding. And finance incumbents can spend all the time they want buying little fintech companies and incorporating them, but that's not the existential crisis. Uh, the existential crisis is that, you know, one day a company like a, a, a Snapchat or a, or a Google owns all of the client interaction because we're sitting in our self-driving car and the only, you know, only website we talk to is a virtual assistant, and that's the Google OS. And then on the other side, um, a company like a Microsoft, an Amazon, or an IBM host all financial data, period. And it's all on Ethereum or some, you know, some other blockchain. Um, and so what do financial firms do in that situation? Well, they're sort of a regulatory API, right? And they manufacture financial products. And then the, the customer and the data is somewhere else. That's, that's the worst case scenario, right? So you know, if you think what can actually happen in the next couple of years, um, one place in digital wealth is these micro-investing services. And there's a difference between a Betterment Wealthfront 
uh, and an acorns or a digit. Yeah, because those those the betterment and wealth front are about investing. I have fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, a million dollars. I don't. I want to invest it. Digit and acorns are more about. Hey, I don't really have a lot of money, but I want to save something, so I'll try and put away. I'll round up the cost of the coffee that I buy and put it in a savings account, right? Or I'll do fifty dollars a month or something. I mean, they're they're about those real micro investments. Exactly. Yeah, and so they'll have. 150 million in assets and 1 million users. And so does that look like a finance company with cash flow economics or does it look like a tech company with um, attention economy economics? Um, I talk a lot yeah. about attention economy, which is the idea that you know, a tech firm, it likes cash, but even more than that, it likes user engagement because end of the day, it, it sells the user engagement. And so you know, an Acorns is closer to that. They have the the users and, peop- and people jumping in and interacting with the app, and they're going to have a lot of trouble charging enough for their financial product. So um, it's going to be tough to see a big financial incumbent buy them. But for a, a cash-rich company like a, a Snapchat or another big tech firm, it it's the same language. It makes sense. I guess that's pretty interesting. You know, it's a great point. You know, with 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 banks getting bigger. It's hard for them to serve a little customer, right? Because there's just not a lot of economics there in that for them. So you see the, these technology companies really coming in to kind of like, like you said, that long tail of all those people who want to invest fifty dollars a month. You know, if you're Chase or, or Bank of America, maybe there's not a lot in that for you. But for but for you know, if you can own that software piece, that's, that's, uh, that's the business. Let's take a break. Come right back on the other side of this with Lex Solikin. Sokolin. I got it wrong. Sokolin, uh, talking more about the future of finance and tech in 2017. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And folks out there, if you want more great podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. And you can subscribe. We are on. I got got a, a laundry list of places where you can now find us. So pretty much anywhere you go, we will be. Uh, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're on Amazon Echo and your Google Play Music app on your Android devices. Uh, Paul and Steven in the studio today with Telus Demos and Lex Sokolin from Autonomous Research. He is Global Director of FinTech Strategy over there. And we are talking about some of the things that are going to happen in the world of, in the financial world, the FinTech world in 2017. And uh, let's start, you know, let's go into a couple of these these predictions, Lex. Some of these are uh, interesting. Some of them are, are near and dear to my heart. Uh, let's talk first about the revival of cryptocurrencies. Because I think that's – it's interesting on a couple of levels. One, I think you look at what happened with Bitcoin. The the price certainly was kind of stagnant for a long time. But even more so, there was – it had fallen into a lot of infighting really. I mean there was a lot of debate about which direction it should go in. And I think it really kind of 
it fell off a lot of people's radar. It lost a lot of momentum that it had built up. And, you know, Ethereum had come along and banks started getting interested in their own kind of building their own uh, black blockchains. And again, Bitcoin's price is extremely volatile and the price went up and it came back down. And it's hard to say what it means from that. But but I my sense is that there there is a general revival of sort of interest. They think some of those scaling issues are going to they're, they're going to work out. But Lex, I want to get your take on on where you think cryptocurrencies are going in 2017. It's a great question, and it's um, thank you, know, you it's, very much. It's uh, not bad for a boomer, right? Um, <laughs> hey, that one's not me. That one's not me. No, it wasn't. Um, you, you didn't see the shade. I was the side <laughs> eye. I was giving Telus there. Um, and so, watching what's going on in cryptocurrency is super exciting, and seeing. Um, interest flow back into Bitcoin, not just as a store of value, but as an innovation, is really heartening, right? Because we we had the the initial excitement about Bitcoin and wallets and trading it, and the focus on speculation, um, and then the conversation was really co-opted by these corporate enterprise blockchains, and they're useful. They have real value, and and banks are going to continue to roll them out in payments and trading and settlement. Um, but I think the um, what we may not see from our vantage point in the uh, wealthiest Western country in the world with, uh, it may not feel like it, but a pretty good legal and economic system, right. uh, what we may not see is just how amazing this innovation is for places that do not have it. Uh, and so, you know, for, for countries like Venezuela, where Bitcoin can be a livelihood, for places like India, where the currency appears and disappears, mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bitcoin can be a, a, a real innovation that people use day to day. And then we also see uh, central banks starting to take some real th- analysis and thought around it and actually do things. So, for example, in Senegal, um, the central bank is partnering with a company called eCurrency Mint to issue central bank issued cryptocurrency. And if that works, they'll do it for another 10 countries. And that's unbelievable and amazing. And I think the the other part of Bitcoin um, that I'm watching is, you know, kind of the in the public blockchain world between Ethereum and Bitcoin, you know, what is going to be the global compute layer? Is it going to be Ethereum? Is is all the smart contract stuff going to be built on Ethereum, uh, or is it going to be built on a layer on top of Bitcoin? And we see those tools starting to actually come out uh, and look really professional, scalable, and interesting. Uh, and so that's you know that's another dimension for why I think Bitcoin will will uh, be really important in 2017. I think to the to the point you made first, where you talk about Bitcoin um, not necessarily as a as a currency or a medium in and of itself, right? Like I'm going to pay okay you you know I want to buy a hot dog from you, I'm going to pay you X percentage of a Bitcoin for that, but as a a store of value that can be. Um, you know, utilized as a kind of almost like a back end to payments, right? Like we've we've talked for a long time about, you know, oh, are we going to pay for things in new ways, right? And and at the end of the day, you know, even even the Apple Pays of the world have had trouble weaning us so out of like the usual habits of okay, I'm going to swipe my credit card, I'm going to pay cash at the store, things like that, right? Everything that's been a lot of things that have been happening in fintech have been about okay, how do I just use my credit card in a new way? And what's interesting, I think, about some of the developments in Bitcoin this year, like for example, we saw. Um, you know, uh, one company, Circle, say, um, you know, we're not necessarily going to facilitate buying and selling, you know, Bitcoin itself. But if you want to send money to another country, 
what we're going to do is we're going to basically take your dollars, kind of temporarily convert them to Bitcoin, and then on the other end, spit out whatever currency it is, you know, uh, you know, um, Japanese yen or something on, on the other side of that. So it, it, seems like, it seems like what Bitcoin is really starting to enable, and we see this in the banking system too, right, where they, it's not Bitcoins in particular. It might be Ethereum or some other, Exxon, one of these other kinds of um, chains out there, um, you know, where where it, it's kind of the underlying, you know, the, the, the real innovation is that you can kind of move these digital tokens around the world and that they're kind of worth the same and recognized the same everywhere. And so it seems like it's a real infrastructure thing that's happening, even if like as a currency, we're still talking about dollars and euros and yen in the way that we used to, that the world is still kind of changing in subtle ways, right? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of chan- uh, a lot of sense. I think for payments is tough because payments, you know, for people in corporations that have money, payments works. And for people that don't have power, payments doesn't work, but they don't have power. Um, so I think we'll see probably private blockchains implemented in, uh, you know, cross-border payments, B2B cross-border payments, remittances, uh, things like chain, um, I think make a lot of sense. Uh, Swift is trying to do things, so we'll definitely see progress there, and the infrastructure will get better. I think, though, that that um, we'll continue to have this sort of push and pull with between Bitcoin and sovereignty, and I think that will start. That will actually yeah. change soon. Why? Why will that change? I mean, like, you're, if you're a country, and I'm in talking like you know the major countries like the U.S., for example, we saw this with Greece. You are giving up in the euro. You give up a lot of sovereignty when you give up your own currency and the ability to manage your economy. Well, you know, that's always been, I think, the, the question I've had with Bitcoin, as Paul and I have covered it for <laughs> years, yeah, our right. editor, was, you know, why would a country, um, you know, do that, you know, give up that sort of control? I agree with you. Um, I think a country wouldn't. Um, and right. it's hard to make a real, you know, prognostication on this, but I think that for some countries, it's it's that they will have no choice, yeah, is that it will happen fair. to them and they don't have the, the institutions legally, economically, politically to do anything about it. And their uh, citizens are already off. Like if you look at inflation, feet, yeah. like Zimbabwe or Venezuela, like yeah. you're already in the black markets. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it will happen. I, I, you're both right. No country is going to give up the, the power to mint their own currency if they can get away with not doing it because it is an extremely powerful tool. But you can make a case where it would be good in the long run to take that power away from the country because pretty much every single country that's ever had it has proven that they will abuse it. So, I mean, in the long run, they all do. So it, it's not going to happen. But what I do think you will have is what you're talking about. And there are two things, two points. One, I think you're right. You're going to have a world of competing digital currencies, whether they're issued by a sovereign uh, sovereign country or a private thing like Bitcoin. Uh, the other thing, which I think is really important, and I want you to point this out, is you said in, in your predictions, you said a lot of people will not understand the importance of this. Uh, because I think a lot of people are still learning what digital currency means and what it is. Can you kind of go go into a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, I think that was inspired by the developments in Africa with the, with the central bank issued cryptocurrency actually being something they might do. Um, and 
to have that be legitimized by a country and then to have infrastructure in place, essentially that's, are we in the 22nd, 21st, in the future, in whatever future we are, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a future infrastructure that allows uh, certain countries to skip generations of, uh, of technologies. I mean, from now on, no more reconciliation ever. No more two separate databases, no more lawyers writing contracts on who's right when. Um, you know, and and uh, watching people build on that is, is really exciting. And I think we're not even at that infrastructure layer yet. And once it happens, and I know the, the sort of the plans are in place, we're going to see some really, really interesting things. Um, and so I guess that's that's what's inspirational to me. The problem is, again, we the people who talk about it probably the most and who um, you know have the privilege to to say this isn't as good as what we have. Um, we don't might not understand it because it it doesn't matter. We swipe our credit card and it goes. We have bank accounts and it all works. Uh, but for the people who are going to benefit from this, um, you know, it's going to be amazing. It's going to change their lives. I mean, that's why. I mean, in many ways, you look at Africa and Africa's far ahead of the U.S. in a lot of these sort of uh, fintech sort of experimentation. Right. We, uh, we're we going to get kicked out of here in a few minutes because we have to surrender the studio for another podcast to tape. But before we, we let you go, Alex, I want to ask you if there, if there was one prediction for 2017 that you think is either the most important thing or the most important thing that people should be aware of, whatever. You know, w- w- Give me the one prediction from your list for 2017 that you absolutely think people should know. So this is not going to be a, a, a fintech prediction, but it is a futurist prediction. Um, and, and it's this. Um, we have uh, artificial intelligence is, some, is something that's um, finally commercial. Uh, using artificial intelligence, we can simulate how people talk. We can type things into a computer, and then another person's voice will say them. This exists today. Using the same AI uh, capability, we can actually uh, mimic video. So you can uh, film an actor and then overlay somebody else's face on top of their face in 3D real time. You cannot tell the difference. It's like Photoshop on a photo. Oh, I saw Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like Rogue One, but even sort of scarier. You know, it's um, literally a, an actor wearing a 3D mask of someone's, someone's face with... And, and so if you combine these two things together, technologies that exist, uh, you're going to have live videos of people saying things in the voice that they of have other people. That, that are not real at all. Wow. Uh, at all. And I think that is one of the, um, you know, given the political climate and everything that's going on, I think we just need to be really thoughtful about what we believe, what we trust, and what we do. Wow. It's like true, leather, in, true it, in banking as it is elsewhere. Taking fake world. news yeah. to another level. Ugh, it's like Leatherface, but digitized. It's like <laughs> you're dig, welcome. Digitized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On that right. note, sleep tight, that, listeners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Lex Sokolin, global director of fintech strategy at Autonomous Research. Thank you for coming in today. It was really great. And uh, last thing I wanted to point out, everyone should know that we've done a lot of interviews in here. Lex is the only guy I've ever seen actually taking notes while we were into. You were taking notes. On, he's a pro. He's, he's a, professional. a pro. This Total is a pro. professional. I can't be caught unaware. No, you I mean, can't be caught. A, 
Because we, we usually don't have millennials. I think that's the. You think really that's key. it? Yeah. I don't know. I was very impressed. It's by always that been Lex. your boomer Gen X slackers. Just, I think you that's, know, that's yeah. two points for millennials on this uh, that's right. podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and negative one for boomers. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.